Yes, we are already back for episode 36 of the Hockey Free For All podcast, and I am your host, Steven Stiles, and thanks again for joining me for this episode. And let's just right out of the gate begin with the fact that the so-called tankers out there must be experiencing a resurgence with the excitement of the celebration of Montreal's schedule that is without a doubt causing them to fall quickly in the league standings as Montreal faces one of the most difficult remaining schedules out of all teams left to play. That being said, that is certainly helping the Montreal Canadiens move towards a better draft position, which again, must be exciting all of these people after just horrendous losses to the Los Angeles Kings, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, the Golden Knights of Las Vegas, Carolina Hurricanes, New York Rangers were nothing to write home about, neither was the New Jersey Devils, and of course the 8-4 loss to the Colorado Avalanche. Piggybacked on Florida's 9-5 loss, that is just going to be a hellacious finish to the season. Not that Montreal's given up, not that they've tanked, they got a lot of fight in them. They're showing good resurgence in the games, they're staying in with their opposition, they're keeping the games close, the goaltending is still, even at this point, better than what was expected this year but it's just proving to be too much for the Canadians at this point as they're just having a real problem staying with some of the teams. And unfortunately, they have no gimme games left as right now they're going to start facing Tampa in a back-to-back situation. And then just to cap that off, they get to go to Boston or play against Boston. So nothing like wrapping up your schedule playing against the league's elite or best teams. Of course, not only do the tankers want to see Montreal finish with a top three preferably or at least the top five pick of course having lost the florida nine to five the other night montreal has their first round pick and certainly doesn't want to help them not get the most miserable or lowest draft pick that they can get either montreal's goal i'm sure or preference would be to have at least two top 10 picks if not even more which we'll get into some of those possibilities here shortly moving on to other player news josh anderson has apparently decided to light it up in the second half of this season to play the most competitive hockey that he has played not only this year for the Montreal Canadiens but really since he has joined the organization. If Montreal hopes to obtain that third elusive first round pick that the Canadians are hoping to have in this summer's very deep draft, I would have to say that Josh Anderson would certainly have to be that player most likely to be able to gain that pick. Especially with the public interest expressed by Flyers' current coach John Tortorella earlier this season that he loved having him on his team in Columbus, loves the way he plays the game, even went so far as to say how Philadelphia would benefit from having him in the lineup and the specific benefits that he would provide. One has to wonder what an intriguing potential off-season draft day trade this could actually be, which would not, again, only get Montreal the third pick in the first round but also potentially get them a third overall to fifth overall pick of their own, end up with a 6-7-8 pick from Philadelphia, because they're just playing that bad, and a top 10 pick from Florida. That would make a lot of people, obviously, very happy, and also allow the organization to accelerate the rebuild process by getting players that close to the top 10 overall, or within the top 10 overall. In talking about a Josh Anderson trade, it has to be the most interesting player, or at least one of them, 
to discuss in a trade scenario because there are those that would say absolutely due to his age he's yes he's in the prime years of his career right now but he'll be past that when the Canadians become competitive to get rid of him there are other people that are like oh my god he's an incredibly rare blend of talent we couldn't possibly get rid of him we've been looking for a quote-unquote power physical forward like that for decades and finally found it there are other people that are saying he's way inconsistent or far too inconsistent uh not worth the money he's getting paid there are other people saying he has a very controllable cap hit of 5.5 million dollars with multiple years left on the contract why would you get rid of that kind of stability or known contract impact on your team so there's lots of different discussions i know some people would trade him some people wouldn't however if a trade of him to philadelphia could land montreal a top seven pick in this year's draft i wouldn't even have to get anything for him other than that pick i would make that trade in an absolute heartbeat again nothing personally against the guy but a top seven pick in the draft in 2023 i see is more valuable to montreal than any of the players and packages that we're going to talk about continuing on for a moment specifically about philadelphia and josh anderson i think montreal could take advantage of a very what seems to be best described as a restless franchise and fan base right now the philadelphia organization feels they should be further ahead in their development and closer to competitive by far than they are the fan base tired of waiting not a lot of patience to begin with in that metropolitan area have very similar feelings i'm sure what if and i'm going to propose a trade here that involves a package of players that some people would say wow you don't get out much or you're thinking way too much about just bizarre things in general but what if you made a series of trades that included a package one of those three trades would be josh anderson and either center prospect jacob olison or left defenseman matthias norlander and obtained philly's first second and third round pick in this year's draft and that hinged on the second part of the trade that sent center christian dvorak forward jake evans and maybe goaltender Caden Primo, which can be leveraged with Philadelphia or Jersey differently than any other place you could trade Caden Primo to because he's from Voorhees, New Jersey. Because his dad and uncle, Keith and Wayne Primo, respectively, played for the organization. There's connectivity, both residentially and from a player perspective with past members of the family. So there's quote-unquote, as people like to call it, a bloodline established traded those players to Philadelphia for, say, a 1-2-3 in 2024. And then after signing, if Montreal does in fact actually sign Sean Monahan, which out of all the players available would be the only player that potentially could either walk away or that I've been talking about all year long, uh, I was looking forward to that to trade deadline being traded, Monahan is the only player that I would actually consider re-signing, but not just any kind of contract. What if Montreal re-signed him to a very friendly contract based on pretty much his health and achievements? Because one, he has to stay healthy, and then two, sign him to a contract that has a $2 million, $2.5 million base and is heavily incentivized. So if he achieves certain goals, assists, point totals, all those kind of things, he will be financially rewarded for it. But it's based on him staying healthy in order to do that because he's proven he's got the talent. Out of all the players we've talked about, 
Allen could potentially be traded from Montreal this year. He is the one and only that came to the city, produced right off the bat, could be moved up and down the lines, could be paired with any player, was automatically a good fit, could serve as a mentor, which he did with both Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, Kirby Doc. So he's got all that going for him already. He doesn't have to prove that. But his problem is staying healthy. So the contract is based on that. If he can stay healthy, obviously he's a very productive member of an organization and a roster. But on the third level of this trade, you trade Monahan along with maybe defenseman David Savard and forward Rem Pitlick. Again, for a 1-2-3 first, second, third round pick in 2025. And just for fun to make this enticing, swap goaltenders with Philadelphia. Literally send Jake Allen to Philadelphia for Carter Hart. Montreal takes on the almost double-sized figure that Carter Hart's contract would be. Jake Allen has two years left at $2.8 million. Carter Hart has one year left at 4.8 roughly. It's a little bit below that. Montreal takes on more contract, relieves contract expense of Philadelphia a little bit because Montreal can. Montreal shakes up their goal a little bit. Philadelphia does the same thing, makes a little bit more of a roster move. Again, not to appease the fans, but just kind of shakes up the organization to let them know, wow, we are changing the makeup of the team. We are not satisfied and you should not be satisfied where this team is currently at in Philadelphia. Works out well for everybody. Now, that may sound like an insane thing, but that gives Philadelphia a number of players in Dvorak, Monaghan, you have young prospects in Olofsson, Norlander. You have veterans in Jake Allen and Dennis Savard. Again, you have more younger players such as Caden Primo. So you have future that you've acquired in in those younger players. And yet you also have Josh Anderson, Christian Dvorak, Sean Monahan, Jake Evans, all in that mid-20 age bracket. Philadelphia could draft players and Philadelphia could wait for those players to unfold. Philadelphia has not had the best of luck with the draft picks. Some have worked out, many have been traded, others just kind of flamed out. So this gives them players in their 20s and puts them in a position to be more competitive, quicker. The organizations are at different points. Different things help different organizations. This would also show the fans that Philadelphia wants things to happen sooner rather than later, which would be certainly appreciated and approved by the fans. It would show movement. It would help Montreal in the fact that they'd move a lot of players out that are not going to be of an age that when the Canadians become competitive as productive as they currently are, it's a win-win scenario for everybody across the board. Montreal, of course, gains incredible draft capital and assets and continues to fill the pipeline. And Montreal is not going to be that far away from it either. I'm not saying this because Montreal is still going to be six to nine years away from being competitive. They're not. They're going to be competitive very quickly, but these players, unfortunately, are just in that perfect age bracket, most of which will be 30 or older as far as the ones that are already playing on the roster at that point in time. That's not good. That You need a more cohesive, more consistently closer age group so that you have a window block of, say, five to seven years that you're very competitive and contending for the Stanley Cup. You don't want to have only two or three years for that. That's not good. People that have waited through the process to only get a benefit of two to three years afterwards aren't going to really feel like they've received the right result they were patient for in the first place. Back to player news for Montreal on a different topic. I would love to chat for a minute about the incredible and outstanding story that Raphael Harvey Pinard has been. What a great story. He's a local kid. He's often been referred to as Brendan Gallagher 2.0, obviously because of his, some people describe it as his diminutive size of 
5'9", like Brendan Gallagher, but he seems to have a better ability to be able to withstand impact than Gallagher does. Now, that's hard to say at this point because obviously Gallagher's played at the pro level for a long time, 10 years, and Rafael Harvey Pinard doesn't, but Pinard seems just healthier going into it than Gallagher was. And I hope Pinard stays a lot healthier and not get or doesn't get physically damaged on a level like Brendan Gallagher has. Because it's been horrific to watch Gallagher just get physically torn apart. Granted, his style of play has a lot to do with it, but still, it's been horrendous to watch. But Rafael Harvey Pinard has been an incredible story, not only because he's not looked out of place for a minute, he's fit right in, he can move up and down the lineup as he's played on everything from Suzuki's line all the way down to the fourth line. He can score, he's held up against the competition at the pro level, and most importantly, he's continued to play a higher number of minutes in game. So durability is right there for him as well. And of course, it can't be overlooked that it's a local that a lot of the provincial fans can get behind. So that's just been a great story all the way around. And not to be left out of that is obviously Lavelle prepared him really well, which is great to see the coaching staff in Lavelle and in Montreal seemingly to be on the same page and providing the skill set and the players when needed when the Canadians continue to go through this just extraordinary injury plague season, just like last year. Next up after Rafael Harvey Pernard is Alex Bazil. And though he's 30, 31 years old, everybody's like, ah, past his prime already. Really? Come on. He's a 30, 31 year old player. But that being said, he's also a 30, 31 year old player without a lot of NHL mileage that's on him. So though he's 30, 31 years old, numerically, he's still very young, agile, high energy, and not worn down like the average 30 or 31 year old player is going to be. He too has been an excellent surprise. He has certainly contributed offensively more than I think anybody expected him to. He's very much a team player. He's the captain of the Laval franchise in the AHL, and he seems to be a person that the pro team players that he plays with and is a part of the roster of has also appreciated. His level of intensity, his level of passion for the game, the fact that he is completely all in, doesn't have to be convinced, doesn't have to be coddled, brought along. He is ready to go, and the players on the Montreal roster appreciate that great. And he he is lined up perfectly with Michael Pizzetta on the opposite wing of him and provided a fourth line with energy that the Canadians honestly have not seen maybe as recently as Guy Carboneau's lines, because Carboneau, of course, was a great defensive center, or prior to that, Chris Nyland. I mean, those kinds of energy lines have been that spotty where other than the Bob Gainey's, Chris Nyland's, Guy Carboneau's, there's not a lot of players, and I'm not saying Alex Bazil is suddenly on their level, but he's a reminder of that quality of a player on a fourth line that actually does their job. Doesn't come up for a couple of games and then suddenly is nowhere to be found ever again. Is consistently involved in the game and doesn't have to be coddled. Understands his role. Now, let's move the conversation in the direction of what I think has been the absolute highlight and greatest achievement of the team, although there's been many and they've made a lot of improvements in a lot of areas, and that's the defense, and it wouldn't be right to start off with anybody else other than Caden Gooley. His game is evolving quickly right in front of everyone, yet there are people that still, even though that's happening, even though he's been very impressive, they still want to question, well, what's his absolute upside? Is he going to really be a number one left-handed defense? Unless there's a desire to look clueless and absolutely unknowledgeable about a game 
or the game that we're talking about. Let's give the kid a chance to unfold. Let's give it the kid a chance to play his game. Let's give the kid a chance to show what he can actually do, which he's had no shortage of doing already this year, as he's already become a player, I think, beyond the expectations of 95% of the people that want to critique him. He is going to be a tremendous player. Make no mistake about it. Although Nick Suzuki was named the captain, he will probably become his closest assistant captain to him once this season possibly has ended. And if not this offseason, definitely the following. Because everybody, I think, knows for a fact that Brendan Gallagher and Joel Edmondson are not long for this team. Whether it's they get traded, whether it's one retires and the other one gets traded, whether Edmondson's contract ends and Brendan Gallagher ends up on LTIR like Carey Price has, who knows? Nobody's a wizard, nobody's a predictor of the future, but you can see one of those scenarios definitely playing out. And one of the next assistant captains has got to be unquestionably Caden Gooley. I mean, he has just proven far more and achieved far more and shown and displayed far more than I think anybody anticipated this year, including coming back from an injury as a rookie, missing 20 games in the process of, and not looking out of place from the second he got back on the ice. There was no ramp-up time. There was no rust. He has been spectacular. Honestly, he's been the kind of defensive prospect and rookie that the Canadians at one time used to have a lot of and see on a regular basis. Has not been seen since, wow, the 70s ended? I mean, I can't think of a defensive prospect that's made a better impact and initial impression that he has made in a long time. There's nobody that comes to mind. And you certainly can't have things like David Wilkie, David Fisher, uh, Nathan Bilodeau, uh, who else has been some of the other gems that they've gotten on defensive? Michael Kamasarek. Nobody has made that kind of impact like Caden Gooley has this year. This has been the kind of player that we've watched get drafted in the middle of the first rounds by other people when Montreal has had on many occasions higher draft picks. Another perfect example of that is the year Anaheim drafted Shea Theodore, 27th overall in his draft. When I believe that draft, we drafted Michael McCarron. What a plus, okay? But Caden Gooley is that kind of defenseman that you would keep asking yourself, how does that keep getting by Montreal in the draft? Guess what? They got him this time. So it's time to fundamentally appreciate that level of talent and immediate perfect fit to the organization that he's actually been. One of the most interesting things about all of the success that the organization has had defensively this year, when I say all the success, I mean the fact that Caden Gooley, nobody thought he'd make it right off the bat. Arbor Jackeye, even less people thought he'd make it. Jordan Harris, who everybody wanted to say, well, he played 10 games last year after finishing up at Northeastern University, but he'll probably have to have this year in Laval. He can't really come up and make team. Justin Baran, ironically, who everybody thought was the most ready and actually came after those three guys did. And then obviously last year, nobody knew Montreal was going to luck out and pick up Jonathan Kovacevic off of waivers during the summer of last offseason from the Winnipeg Jets. But there's actually some challenge to the news that those five rookie defensemen who not only made the team this year, but have pretty much established their spot on the roster and taken their spots, what do you do with all the coming talent? I mean, because you have Miguel Torganev, you have... Logan Mylou, you have Jaden Struble, you have a lot of other people coming. You have Lane Hudson. And on top of all of that, what do you do with Mike Matheson, Joel Edmondson, David Savard, Chris Weidman? They're already all there. They're already veterans. Now, out of those four veterans, clearly Mike Matheson is the best, most valuable of the four, youngest, 
most agile, best transition game by far, has scored more points than any of them in less games. So Matheson is clearly the one you keep out of that group. Well, guess what? You add Matheson to the five that already made the team as rookies this year, you got six. Now, the only good news about that is I don't think there's more of the great prospects that are coming as ready like these guys jumped on the team this year. I think Logan Mylou, because he's had such an interesting junior career, and I'm not talking, folks, anything other than hockey, I am not going to dredge up the whole other issue that everybody wants to crucify the kid for as an 18 or 17-year-old. You're kind of like, I get it. It was inappropriate. It was wrong. He shouldn't have done it. I totally agree with that. I'm not supporting that issue in any way, shape, or form. That being said, if everybody wants to crucify that kid to that level for that what do you do with the people that have like either committed murders sex offenders actual violent crimes a physical physical violent crimes such as rape sodomy and things like that i mean again i don't agree with what the kid did it was wrong he knows it's wrong but a photograph is far different than physically harming or in either case the killing of a person if everybody can merge all that together and say that's one and the same there's some other issues to talk about maybe at some other point but all that aside, from a hockey standpoint, Logan Mylou's junior career has had shoulder surgeries, other physical ailments that have caused him to miss games, some development issues and things like that. So he's not quite on the same pace as being ready as the other five that we've talked about. Torgany and others are playing in juniors or in international competition. They need to physically develop a little bit more, so they're not as ready. Fortunately, Lane Hudson still has at least a season or two to develop at Boston College, which would be honestly very beneficial for him because the last thing you'd want to see is if he has similar success in a defensive position like Cole Caulfield has because they both got the same kind of wheels, transition game, stick handling capabilities, puck skills and things like that. You don't want to see him suddenly have his career ended because he can't deal with the physical endurance of the league. So if it takes him two more years at least to develop at Boston College before he gets there, I'm okay with that because imagine the spectacular show that we're all in for when he gets to the league if he can be developed and have the skill set that he already has or better, wow, you've got a special defensive talent coming in Lane Hudson and not just on the power play. The kid's got amazing skating. He skates like a forward, even though he's a defenseman. That's a hell of an ability, okay? But fortunately, a lot of those players aren't going to be ready to step right in on the defense. So maybe the five rookies in Caden Gooley, Arbor Jackeye, Jordan Harris, Jonathan Kovacevic, Justin Baran with Mike Matheson, maybe that can be the defense for two or three three years. That's a hell of a defense. That's a top six defense in the league. And I know a lot of people, it's like, well, that's a bit uh, high privilege or high uh, promotional at this point. Might be a high promotion at this point. It might be a very overachievement phrase, one could say, but I think they're there and they've proven it. And they're really, really good. And if they're already good, they're only going to get better. None of these guys are showing signs of taking steps back. And that is kudos to and a benefit of not Not only the new Montreal management, not only traditional development strategies, but the tremendous Department of Developmental Personnel that the Canadians have been able to put in place. At this point, the only and most likely readiest candidate or prospect that is not on the defense right now is Jaden Struble. Just wrapped up his senior year at Northeastern. Everybody, of course, immediately wanted to create the chaos and like, oh my God, are the Canadians going to lose him? Is he going to sign with him? Yeah, they already signed him to a two-year contract. 
it just amazes me the just chaotic behavior that people want to either create an environment for or want to go down the path of and think that, oh, is, 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 is Ken Hughes going to be able to sign him? I mean, can we have faith in Ken Hughes? I don't know how you can't have faith in Ken Hughes, the rest of the Canadians' management. Jeff Molson, I think, from an image perspective, improved his public image when he brought in Jeff Gordon and Ken Hughes and they brought in Martin St. Louis and Martin St. Louis brought in Stefan Robidas. I think Montreal's made a hell of a statement from an image perspective that really everybody needs to stop questioning. You have competency across the board that's in place. You have the best management staff you've had, quite honestly, even though the team hasn't even won a Stanley Cup yet, since Sam Pollock's administration. Will Martin St. Louis be Scotty Bowman? Will Ken Hughes be Sam Pollock? To be determined. They're rare, credible people in their positions. But they got a shot. And you really haven't been able to say that about anybody else in those positions since. You thought maybe Bob Gainey would have as a general manager because he was a protege. He was obtained and drafted during that time frame. Coached by the greatest coach, I think, of, that's ever existed in any sport. Other than maybe Bill Belichick is the only other coach in a conversation with Scotty Bowman. They've both been that successful to a level nobody else can even touch. Okay, And of course, the other hockey coach that would belong in that discussion is Toblo. But other than those three men, Scotty Bowman, Toe Blake, Bill Belichick, kind of in their own league, guys, kind of have won things at a level and with a regularity nobody else can even proclaim or get near to. But Jaden Struble got signed, signed his two-year contract, and he may be the only other guy that's ready to walk in to Montreal like the five did last year and make the team. But with the success and abilities that Mike Matheson has had and shown with the fact that he has come back strong from his injuries, Jaden Struble might have to settle for being the leader of the Laval defense for next season. It might be a, a year or two before he makes the team. That's fine because he too, similar to Logan Mylou, has had injuries, needs to understand how to pace himself, needs to understand how to play against players that also share that same kind of physical strength so that he does not become yet another Canadian player that is predominantly and perpetually injured like so many players have been in the last two years. The Canadians have been an amazing organization to set great records in the NHL, records to be proud of, injury records for most man games lost like they have set for the last two seasons consecutively last year and this year are not things that organizations should set out to say hey we want to set this record that's not the kind of record an organization wants to set because you know it's going to be a long year and they have had injuries to a degree both last year and this year never seen before Everybody loses players for a couple of games. Nine of the 14 forwards that Montreal has lost this year are out on season-ending injuries. Some have had surgeries, like Cole Caulfield, like Sean Monahan had before he got there, like the latest season-ending injury, Christian Dvorak, who's already had knee surgery, and some have not required surgery. That have been out for a significant period of time, such as Mike Matheson, such as Jake Evans, and Number one draft pick overall in the 2022 draft, Yuri Slikowski. I really hope every one of them that have had surgery or not come back unscathed, no diminishing skills, and come back even better than they were. I really hope so. I would hate to see any player for what they've taken their entire life to achieve lose because of an injury. That would just be horrific. 
And it wouldn't be right if we don't end this particular episode, like we've ended several others, on everyone's favorite and obsessive topic, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Yes, he's having a good season in Winnipeg. Yes, he scored 28 goals last year. Well, you know what? Josh Anderson might score 30-plus goals this year. He's lighting it up right now as well. If there was a trade that I would make and actually trade a player for Pierre-Luc Dubois, if Montreal wants to send Anderson to Winnipeg and Winnipeg wants to send Pierre-Luc Dubois to Montreal for a one-on-one trade, one for one. They're similar ages. They're similar physical statures. Some people could argue that they're both power forwards. Not even going to go there. Make that trade. If if they if somebody believes they have to acquire him before he becomes an unrestricted free agent, send Josh Anderson there. But I don't know why you would send anybody because you're going to obviously have to send somebody of equal value or a package together, which is going to deplete a skilled player from your roster and prospects from your organization, especially when you can get him in 12 months for nothing. He'll be an unrestricted free agent. And those players that you traded for him, you could have gotten something else in addition to him from another team by signing him as an unrestricted free agent. Maybe if you saw something else you had to go after, you could have used that trade material or players for that other option that you wanted. So you could have both. But I still say, regarding Pierre-Luc Dubois, if there is that just gotta have him, local kid, young kid, wait until next year when he's an unrestricted free agent. But the other thing that nobody is considering is how does it affect the organization? And I don't mean by just adding a skilled player. How does it affect the roster? Everybody, I'm sure, still remains tired of having heard one of the most common stories under the Mark Bergevin regime of player chemistry, locker room issues, personality conflicts, and things like that. Keep in mind, you already have Suzuki as captain, and Suzuki's the number one center. Doc has already positioned himself as the number two center. Would you really make Pierre-Luc Dubois your third center? Or would you unseat one of those other two guys that could disrupt the entire chemistry of the team just to appease people that are obsessed with Pierre-Luc Dubois for all kinds of reasons that we're not going to rehash? Because I don't think Pierre-Luc Dubois is better. And I would not disrupt or displace Kirby Doc or Suzuki for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I would not switch Kirby Doc to a wing position just so Pierre-Luc Dubois is in my top six. I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. And you also disrupt the entire chemistry of the, of the team who's very young that you're trying to put together. Who you want to have chemistry amongst all the players. Trust among the organization between them and the players. This drives a huge divided nail into all those issues. And is that really worth it? A question to be answered down the road. Again, I'm your host, Stephen Stiles. Thank you so much for tuning into episode 36. I look forward to everybody tuning into episode 37 that will be here before we know it. Have a fantastic weekend and even a better week coming up.